seats. If you would, open your Bibles to Psalm chapter 67. Psalm chapter 67. Open your Bibles, open your devices. Some of you may have this uh, psalm memorized already. It's a shorter psalm. It's seven verses. It's actually a good psalm to memorize. So I'm going to read this, and then we're actually just going to kind of walk through this together. This is a good, what we often call, the psalms often land during the summertime. We call them, a lot of churches will call them the summer psalms. And often they get a bad rap for that. It's just, okay, here's something, here's something light and easy. Let's, you know, summertime, it's more relaxing. Let's look at the psalms. Well, the reality is the psalms are kind of brutal if you read through them. It's David. It's different people looking at life. They're looking at God. They're looking at life, and they're saying, I don't know how this really matches up. This is my reality. This is who you say you are. And here are my prayers to you in this context right now. God, would you make yourself known? Because I don't see you. And some of them are, God, you're making yourself so much known. We praise you. And so later on, actually, after the summer, we are going to dive in and look at the Psalms more. But today, we're going to take a pause from our Ephesians study, and we're going to look at Psalm 67. So let me, let me read this this morning. May God be gracious to us and bless us, and make His face to shine upon us, that your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. For you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon earth. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. The earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, shall bless us. God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. Let me pray for us. God, I just pray this morning, Father, that you would use me, your servant, your son. Father, it's a privilege. It's a privilege to study your word, to know your word. But it is a, it is a burden, a, a, a burden to teach your word, to preach your word, Father, because I know, I know me. I know my heart. I know my understanding. So, Father, I pray that you, would, that you would lighten that burden through your spirit. God, that you would help me, that you would help us when we do uh, find ourselves in places of bringing your word, your truth, whether it's one-on-one -on -one conversation with someone struggling, or whether it's a small group, or whether uh, we're preaching whatever we're doing, Father, and no matter what continent we're on, well, may we see, Father, that your desire is for the nations to know you. And if that's the desire of your reach, then you will resource it. You will give us the words to speak through your word, through your spirit. So, Father, I pray, Father, that today, God, that we would see the way you bless, we would see your face, we would know Christ, and we would desire for the nations to sing and the nations to be glad. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So back a good 20 plus years ago, 
I was living in the dorm at Georgia College. Don't get it mixed up with uh, uh, the, the school in Athens, the Bulldogs. Uh, I, a lot of people are going to tune me out when I say this, but in my heart, I'm a, I'm a Georgia Bulldog. Uh, it's where I, I grew up near there, but would, would have loved to go to school there, but wound up at this little school called Georgia College. By the time I graduated, they changed the name to Georgia College and State University. Yeah, see? It's like, why do I change this? And so there was a little ampersand in there, the little and. So me and my buddies, we cut out Georgia College and we cut out and State, uh, State University, and we called ourselves Ampersand University. And, and then we had it on our books and, you know, on our cars. But I love this little school. It was fun. I loved living in the dorms. I love hanging out with guys and, and girls and just trying to have the best time we could in life. So to give a little background, I went into college as a believer. I desired uh, for my friends to know Jesus. I had a great youth pastor who poured his life into me. Went on great mission trips. Went on a mission trip to Belize, Central America, uh, for my senior trip with some people to, to share the gospel with people that lived in the jungle. And it was fun. That's what I thought I wanted to be. I thought I wanted to be a, a jungle missionary. And uh, that's not what I am. Uh, but it, I was excited. I was excited about people that hadn't heard the gospel to hear the gospel. So I found myself in the dorm with a lot of baseball players, with a lot of athletes, with a lot of dudes that wanted to be in the fraternity, with a lot of guys that loved to play video games, a lot of guys and girls that liked to play hide-and-go-seek in the local cemetery at night. Uh, we did a lot of dumb things. But when us guys would get together, everything turned into a competition. Everything. Now, you need a little context. We, we were busy about doing dumb things. One, because the internet had not been accessible in our dorm yet. So if we were in the dorm, it was just, what are we doing? Really nothing. We're not, we're not online, even writing papers or being dumb. We're, we're just hanging out. So one of the things that we would do, and this was, this was a lot of the guys, not just guys that like music, but a lot of the guys, what we would do, we'd play this dumb game because we wanted to get points. Games are about getting points to see who wins at the end of the day. So we had this game about songs, about songs. And here's the thing. You'd have a guy, you'd hear, you'd hear a commercial, or you would, you would hear a song played, and then, and then one of the guys would would uh, ring out, and this was, this was at the time when I was a student, I believe I can fly. Y'all remember that song, some of you? I believe I can do what to the sky? I can touch it. And so you would have, there was this guy named Kevin Hubble, and he would be in the hallways, and you would just hear him, I believe I can fly. And then later in the day, if any of us, if any of us said or sang the song, I believe I can fly, he'd say, point, I get a point. So the way it works, if you're the first one that day to sing a song in front of your buddies or say any little, little something, you know, this is how we do it, anything. And if anybody, guy or girl, says something, you say, I get a point. And so we change that into, into points. But here's the thing. Those songs would get what? They would get stuck in your head. You hear a song, it gets stuck in your head. It's, there's something about music that's powerful. It really is, and God knows that. God invented music. God invented music. The Psalms, we could see here, Tim Keller, he has a quote about the Psalms. He says this, But the Psalms were songs, 
They were not simply read, but sung. They penetrated the minds and imagination of people as only music can do. The Psalms are the divinely ordained way to learn devotion to our God. They're not just a matchless primer of teaching, but a medicine chest for the heart and the best possible guide for practical living. They are written to be prayed, recited, and sung, to be done, not merely to be read. And this was Tim Keller. Songs get stuck in our head. And God knows that. So he has a whole book and even other other books of the Bible, other places of the Bible, there's certain aspects of it. They're meant to be sung. The Psalms were written to be sung. We do that in some of our songs, but as I read the Psalm earlier, I didn't, I didn't sing it to you. But they're, they're written to be sung. And when you read a Psalm, you need to think about that. Even in this Psalm itself, I'm not going to get into the meaning of Selah. I know we're going to do that uh, later on. Uh, when we begin this series, but basically, in, within the within the book of Psalm, all of the all of the verses that are written in this whole book of Psalms, there's there's a good bit of these selahs, but to find two of them, to find two of these little words that basically mean pause. So if you look in your Bible, you'll see most of you will see within this writing right here, verses one through seven, it'll say selah. It means to pause. It means to consider that. Really contemplate that. So um, in this psalm alone, there's only there's seven verses, but this Selah lands two times. It lands two times, which is, it's a big deal. It doesn't land that many times percentage-wise in the whole rest of the psalms. So there's a lot of things that are being sung. There's a lot of place where the magician would, if you would, build up. Build up, if you would. It was that your way may be known on the earth. And maybe that's a, the drums going, maybe the, the, the swell of the cymbals. I don't know. But there would maybe be a pause. Maybe a little guitar pause. Or maybe, I guess, the harp or the, the lyre. Whatever they're playing at the, the flute, the lute, the, all of these things, the, you know, the hobbits. Picture the hobbits. That's what I picture when I think of Old Testament music. I don't know what's being played, but in that section, there's a pause. There's a little bit of a pause. Not to just think about the music, but to think about the song. The song that we're singing to the God of the universe. Psalm 67. You've got to look at the Psalms in a way that, that I hadn't really contemplated or thought about until I was reading a book about the Psalms. That the Psalms are actually, if you think about what was Jesus's, what was his songbook? What was his, what would be on his uh, iPod? Or I guess uh, we're in 2018, just on his phone. What would be on his phone? It'd be the Psalms. It'd be some limitations. It would be things that he would, pl- he would plus pray and listen, and he would be, whether he's the carpenter or the masonite, you know, that's the debatable thing, whether he's working with rocks or wood. The, the important thing is he, he built things. He was a builder. He did things, but he's listening to some music. It would be these songs. He doesn't forget the lyrics because he wrote them. And that's something that's amazing. But I'm going to take some creative liberty to just think that this psalm, Psalm 67, 
We'll, we'll ask Jesus when we get there, was Mark right about this? And Jesus will say, not really, but it was okay. I think Psalm 67, I think this is a song that was like on repeat in Jesus' phone. That's where you're like, yeah, Jesus didn't have a phone, you're wrong. But it was like on repeat in his mind. I believe this is a song that he was singing a lot. Because you see in his life, you see him setting his face towards Jerusalem. You see him dying on the cross, rising up from the dead. And you see his great declaration to the disciples on what they're to do. They're to take, they're to take his good news to all the nations. You see him living for this end. You see him living for this purpose, dying for this purpose, rising up for the dead for this purpose that the nations would know the glory of God, that the nations would praise him. In this song, this is a song that I desire to get stuck in my head. I want all the psalms to get stuck in my head, but this is something that I want stuck in my head. So let's look. Let's look at Psalm 67. So right here in verse 1, may God be gracious to us and bless us. So here you have it. You have this psalm beginning with may God be gracious to us. It begins immediately with the understanding of our brokenness. May God be gracious to us. I need grace. I need the creator of the world, the creator of the universe to be gracious to me. I need him to bless me. I need to make his face shine upon me. Why? Because I'm bankrupt. I am, as Jesus says, I am poor in spirit. I am bankrupt. I have nothing inside myself. I need God to be gracious to me, to show me favor, to show me love. That God would do that to any of us is by grace alone. Because he knows our brokenness. He knows our waywardness. He knows the depravity of our hearts. He knows our sin. And I'm not going to dwell there this morning. I want to briefly let you know and remind you, or if you're here and you haven't heard the gospel before, we are sinners in need of salvation. We're in need of God's grace and His mercy. We're in need of a Savior. So God is the one to be gracious to us because we're bankrupt. I don't know how many of you have seen uh, The Greatest Showman. Let me get a show of hands. Who has seen The Greatest Showman out there? All right. So in The Greatest Showman, we have this quote. And this is a quote that I've thought a lot about because, because we watched this as a family. And honestly, after we watched it the first time, we were like, eh, it was all right. But then my kids are like going around more than enough. You know, they're just, they're singing, and then my son, if you've been able to be around him when it's not in a big people context, he'll, he'll go wild singing and having fun. And so he was singing The Greatest Showman. And part of this, this verse of the, the song Never Enough says this, Towers of gold are still too little. These hands could hold the world, but it'll never be enough. Okay, so he was, you know, he was singing, Towers of Gold are still too little. Nailed it. These hands could hold the man, and, na, na, na. and he didn't have a clue what it was saying. He was singing his heart out. So I, so I had to focus on this. It's like, what are the lyrics? Because I don't know what they are either. And I, I begin to look at them. These, holds could, these hands could hold the world, but it'll. 
okay? It'll rhymes with little, okay? But it'll. Towers of gold are still too little. These hands could hold the world, but it'll never be enough. And then just started moving on, and I went back to it. I was like, this, this movie, this movie sings the song of every heart. This opera singer, if you would, she had her own song that she was singing, but she was also singing the song of the whole movie, but she's singing the song of every one of us. The towers of gold are still too little. I could have all the riches in the world. Just even telling my daughter that, could you imagine having a whole tower made of gold? Not just I could have a jewelry box with gold in it in a tower. I could own a tower with a jewelry box. You know, that'd be amazing. But no, a tower made of stinking gold. Basically, you have no worries at all anymore when it comes to money. And then it goes on, these hands could hold the world. Okay, I could have everything. I could have everything, but it'll never be enough. Because it's never enough. Never, never, never enough. May God be gracious to us. Because the things that I see, the things I long for, the things that I'm after, I'm convinced it'll never be enough. So God, I need you. I need you because all that I'm aiming at, all that I think I need, I'm convinced it'll never be enough. Some of you aren't convinced yet, and you will be. You will be convinced that it's not enough. If your aim is solely to have just the most peaceful, awesome, loving family, to be the greatest husband, you're going to see that that's not enough. We need, we need God to be the one that's enough for us. May God be gracious to us. May he show us our bankruptcy. And may he bless us and make his face to shine upon us. So I want us to think about just this blessing. And we're going to get to this later on in the psalm. But I want you to think of what we think it means to be blessed. We can, we can overuse this sometimes. You know, uh, it, it, I'm, not, I'm not even going to get into particulars because even the way that I think about it, it's like, no, that could be a blessing. So I'm not going to get into particulars of what's a blessing and what's not. But bottom line, the ultimate blessing from God is that God would bless us with his grace, with his mercy, with the things that, that he says you need this right now, that he would bless us with, with those things in order for us to not only be satisfied, but to pour out. He blesses us to be a blessing to others. God's blessings never just solely only end on me. Yes, they do come to me. His salvation comes to me personally, to Mark, to you. But it doesn't just stop there. His blessings continue to pour out. That's how God blesses. May God bless us and make his face to shine upon us. That his face would shine upon us, upon our bankruptcy, upon the darkness that we have. His light upon my bankruptcy exposes, exposes all, not only my bankruptcy, but it exposes his kindness, his generosity, his light coming in 
It lets me, in a sense, it draws fear upon me. Oh no, you see me, I'm exposed, but but you're shining on my life. Why would you shine on my life? Why wouldn't you just crush me and destroy me? He's bringing hope. He's bringing salvation. He's bringing restoration. He's showing me. He's showing me the saviors that I have in my heart that aren't enough. May his face shine upon us. Before we move on, often when you read a psalm like this, especially when it talks about joy, when it talks about the salvation of the Lord and his ways being known, there's this thought that as soon as God shows me his graciousness and shines his face upon me, then all of a sudden I'm just going to be like this bright shining light of just Uh, of just a flurry of happiness and joy and all is amazing and I'm just a butterfly and a unicorn and a rainbow and everything amazing and awesome and everybody is just like, of course I want to know what this guy knows. This is awesome. This is wonderful. But I don't think that's the way that the Psalms are sung most of the time from the people of the Old Testament and the people now. It comes from circumstances and situations of where we know, okay, I have God, I have Christ, I have hope in Jesus, yet, yet, it's tough. Life is hard. This situation is difficult. Lord, be gracious to my family right now. Help me, Lord. There's a Puritan that spent time reading God's word, and this is one of his prayers, and we're going to read this together. Let's look up here on the screen. This is from the Valley of Vision. There we go. Thank you. Lord, high and holy, meek and lowly, thou hast brought me to the Valley of Vision, where I live in the depths, but see thee in the heights. Hemmed in by mountains of sin, I behold thy glory. Let me lean by paradox that the way down is the way up, that to be low is to be high, that the broken heart is the healed heart, that the contrite spirit is the rejoicing spirit, that the repenting soul is the victorious soul, that to have nothing is to to possess all, that to bear the cross is to wear the crown, that to give is to receive, that the valley is the place of vision. Lord, in the daytime, stars can be seen from the deepest wells, the deepest wells. And the deeper the wells, the brighter thy stars shine. Let me find thy light in my darkness, thy life in my death, thy joy in my sorrow, thy grace in my sin, thy riches in my poverty, thy glory in my valley, the valley of vision. So this psalm, I believe, often often is sung by people that are saying, Lord, Lord, I see clearly again that I need you. But I see very clearly that this world needs you, that my city needs you, my neighborhood, my city, the county, the state, the nation, the nations need you, Father. This is a dark world. We need you, Father. But why? 
Why would I say, God, be gracious and bless us? Why would the writer say to make God's face shine upon us? We're not going to read this passage. I had it up for us to read 2 Corinthians 3, 4 through 6. But the end of this, the end of this passage in, in 2 Corinthians, the glory of God, the glory of God is, as I preached a few weeks ago about Moses saying, God, show me your glory. And God is like, if I show you my glory, you will be dead. You can't comprehend my glory. You can't see my glory. You need uh, to know my glory, but if, once you see me and see my face, you're dead. And so God placed Moses in the cleft of a rock, which represents Jesus Christ. In Christ, we can see the glory of God. And at the end of this passage in 2 Corinthians, the end of this passage, it talks about that we can see the glory of God in the face of Jesus. So this plea that Moses had, let me see your glory. God says, yes, you will see my glory. But, but Paul answers that question of, of how we will be able to know God's glory. It's in the face of Christ. It's in the person of Christ. It's who Jesus is, who he is. He is God. But he's come. He's lived. He's died. He's risen up from the dead. And we can see his face. And we can know his glory. Why, God, that your way may be known on the earth? That your way may be known on the earth? So part of us, part of us receiving the grace of God, part of us having the glory of God, His face shining upon us, is yes, that, that my darkness would be turned into light, my, my poverty would be turned into riches, my sadness would be turned into joy. But why? For the praise of God. But also, very clearly, that your way may be known in all the earth. It doesn't stop on me. God's blessings do not stop on me. Your way may be known your saving power among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, O oh God. Let all the peoples praise you. C.S. Lewis talks about praise. He talks about praise. He talks about jokes. He talks about stories. But there's something about stories. There's something about jokes that when you hear it, when you hear this joke, why did the chicken cross the road for the first time? Why did the chicken cross the road? Why did it? To get to the other side. It's just not funny anymore. But it was. You, maybe you don't remember. It was funny to me. The first time I heard it, I don't know. Why, why did this chicken cross the road? That sounds dangerous. Did he make it? But why did he cross the road? I don't know. Was it? He wasn't going to KFC. Why? Well, to get to the other side. Blah! It was funny to me. What did I want to do? I didn't want to go, go back, to my, back to my room as a first grader and pull out my journal and contemplate. Oh, this was, today was a great day. and Just a dear journal. Great joke today. <laughs> no. I wanted to go and tell my mom. Mom, why the chicken cross the road? She knew the answer. I don't know why. To get to the other side. And she, well, she laughed. Her laugh, from me telling her the story, in a sense, completed. 
It completed my joy of the joke. There was a sense of the joke that was funny to me, but the joke was even better to me when I shared it with somebody else. It's just how stories work. God knew what he was doing when he invented stories. When we get to tell stories, we share it with other people. We change things. Guys change their fishing stories all the time. But we try to even make stories better, or your golf stories. But we want to share stories all the time. We were watching a nature show the other day. It was great. Uh, uh, Planet Earth, I think it is what it is. It's Planet Earth 2. Now, I remember watching Planet Earth 1 uh, when I worked uh, with Campus Outreach in Thailand. I would go into the, the cafeterias every day. And it was like a whole year where in the cafeteria they just had this big screen. And we would be sitting there eating rice and talking and hanging out, trying to tell people about Jesus. And it was pretty awesome because it would... Planet Earth, number one, was up on the screen. And it was always just the perfect segue. Like, man, look at that. Look at that waterfall. Have you ever jumped off a waterfall before? And we talk about it, boom, 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 boom. And if you ever go to Thailand, the question you ask Thai guys is, what's your favorite waterfall? Now, I learned this, you know, after like year seven. I've shared it with a few of you. Does anybody remember? Why do you ask a guy where his favorite waterfall is? Does anybody remember? Take a guess. It, it, it involves a girl. It's probably his first place that he's ever kissed a girl. In Thailand, it's like there's waterfalls everywhere. So it's like when a guy basically asks a girl, hey, you want to go see the waterfall? She's like, oh, he's probably going to give me a little kiss. And once again, why do I ask guys this story? I don't say, when's the first time you ever kissed a girl? I say, where's your favorite waterfall? And they're like, blah! And they share the story, and it gets all exciting. So there's plenty of segues, but also it's like planet, planet Earth, the reason they have this documentary is because it shows the amazingness of the world. Now, their goal isn't to show you the glory of God, but man, I would lasso that all the time. I'd bring that waterfall in. I would bring that, that, that bird that knows how to build a nest with, with no eyes and no beak. You know, all these amazing things. How does this happen? And I'd say, this is amazing. This is absolutely amazing. So I'm sitting with Sophie and my son, Nate, and we're watching Planet Earth 2, and it's amazing. Sherry's in the back doing some work, getting something done, working on the computer and homeschool and, and whatnot. And something amazing happens. There's this little bird that, that takes all the leaves off this little tree, clears its place in the forest. And like it's a dirt spot in this little tree that, that he takes all the leaves off says about this tall. And he starts, he starts calling. He starts calling. And he's a pretty bird. In nature, the dudes are always the, the, the ones that look pretty and awesome, and the girls are plain, and I don't know why that is. It's not true for humans, but for animals, it's like that. And so this, this pretty male bird, he's, you know, he's strutting around doing his thing, and then he's calling, these, he's calling up these other birds, the female birds. And so we're like, why did he clean that up? Is he wanting to show his cleaning skills? Why is he doing this? And so this, this, one little, this one little bird flitters down, you know, and starts looking at him. He's like, what's going on? What's up, fella? And he's like, 
Okay, I'll stop on it. So he's, they're, they're talking. You know what's going on. They're bird talking, but she's over here. She's not on this one. He's like, he, he goes up to this one. He goes up to it from the ground, and he's like, he's like, get on this one. She's, and she's like, this one? And she, she jumps over onto that one. Now, she's up kind of high. And we're like, what's going on? She can look down. Again, he's cleared out this whole area. All the beautiful green leaves of the forest is clear. It's just this dirt spot. And then he just looks up at her, and then he goes. <laughs> and on his back that you didn't see is the most brilliant green leaf that you've ever seen in your life. He's like, I am the best green color in this whole forest. And she's like, yes, you are. And later, there's small birds. All right, so, so my son, my son is, my son through this whole little thing, my son, he jumps out of the chair, like we're, like I crank the air conditioner down, like I'm going to be paying a bill this month, but I crank it down, we're all under these covers, but he jumps out, he runs to the back, mom, mom, you won't believe it, this bird, Story after story, episode after episode of these, or in that episode, all these amazing things. My son jumps up to go tell mom. She hears it, and it's fine. But I see it very clearly. When you see something amazing, you want to share it. You want to tell somebody. There's something about the completion of that that happens. And God knows that with us. That's why he wants to keep showing his grace to us. Yes, because we're his sons and daughters. But he knows that when we get filled up and we're like, God, you're amazing, you're gracious, that we will say there's part of this joy that's not complete yet. It's in the sharing it with others. It's telling other people. God, that your way may be known on earth. Your saving power among all the nations. Let the peoples praise you, O oh God. Let all the peoples praise you. This praise, it comes from this foundation. It comes from this foundation of the fact that God himself, if you think about levels, if you would, or, or, or what praise is, what glory is, God within himself, the character of God, or if you feel more comfortable, the attributes of God, his holiness, who he is, has been who he is forever and ever and ever and ever. I don't understand eternity. But the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit forever and ever have been extremely happy about who they are. All loving, all good, all amazing, all holy. That's, that is who God is, and even more. But God decides to display that. He decides to create and display his character. He decides to display himself. And so when God creates the world right here, creates the world and begins to display who he is through creation, through the face of his son, that is called his glory. That is his glory. Who he is on display, us seeing who he is, is glory. So when we say songs like, glory be to God, what we're saying is, God, who you are, who you're allowing me to see is glorious. It's awesome. You are amazing. Who you are is amazing. I see your glory, even if it's just a little bit. I see your glory. Praise is something else. Glory is God's 
Glory is God's character, who he is on display. Praise is saying, and I love God's glory. I love God's character. I love who God is on display. That's praise. Praise is saying, God, I see your glory, I see who you are, and I praise you for who you are. Because the whole earth, believers or non-believers, we do see the glory of God. But we don't all praise God for who he is. But we see him for who he is. The nations know the glory of God. But they're not yet praising him for who he is. So we need God to be gracious to us and to bless us so that we can go out and share the good news with the lost and dying world. Verse 4, let the nations be glad and sing for joy. For you judge the peoples with equity. You guide the nations upon the earth. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. The earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, shall bless us. God shall bless us. Let all the earth, let all the ends of the earth fear him. It's okay. God is gracious to us. He blesses us so that we would be a blessing into the nations. But not only that they, we would be a blessing to the nations, but that they would be satisfied in God, that they would be glad. But not only they would be glad, but they would sing, that they in turn would sing and go out into all the world. He would guide us to do that. Another thing when I think about my children, mainly my son, when we give him like some gum, especially like a pack of gum, and we ask him to share it with your sister. There's one thing when you have a pack of gum, and especially if it's good, and you're asked to share it, there's something about us when we're little, with a lot of us, we don't want to share it, right? We just don't want to share our gum. Now, if it's nasty gum, it's like, yeah, sure, I'll get rid of that, so maybe I can get to the good stuff. So when I think about this passage, I often think about what is the taste of Christ in your mouth? What does he taste like to you? What does the grace of God taste like to you? Is it in a sense like your favorite gum, if you would? Like, I like this gum. I have a whole pocket full of gum. I would like to even share this gum. But here's the, here's the problem that we have. But if I share my gum, then I won't have any more gum. So that's the dilemma that we have. That's the dilemma that a lot of believers run into, a lot of churches run into. And it's this dilemma of if we corporately, we need to chew gum together right here on Sunday morning. We need to be together learning about who God is. But if we start to go out into the nations, then we're kind of giving something away. And then what about us? What about my comm group? What about my, what about my family? If I start to really go out and share with the world, what about, what about me? Am I going to have less? And the thing is, this is an endless supply if you would have gone. God says, I'm going to continue to supply everything that you need. I will always give you what you need. Keep chewing, keep tasting and seeing that the Lord is good. And take this gospel into all the world. Because the fact is, God resources he resources all the time for his reach. If God desires to reach into the nations, he is going to resource that. He's always going to give you what you need. 
So let us not be selfish with the good news. As a family, I have to think about that. How are we being selfish with the things that God has blessed us with? Whether it's uh, monetary, whether it's getting out and sharing the good news, whether it's serving. How am, I, how am I not being a blessing into my neighborhood, into my friends? May God help us to go out and do that. I want to start tying things up right here, here at the end. That God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. All right. So when you think about this word fear, it can be confusing. But all through the Psalms, even in the, even in the New Testament, you start to see this fear. So we need to think about, again, we need to think about the holiness of God. His perfections. Who he is even as the way he communicated to Moses. It makes sense. There's a certain fear. If I see the glory of God, I will disintegrate. Okay, that's scary. I, I, I want to see your glory, but I don't want to die. So there's this, there's this fear, but, but there's this certain respect for God. There's a certain understanding of who God is. So there's two types of fears that I just want to share with you this morning. And Martin Luther, years and years and years ago, he thought through this because he's reading the Psalms, he's reading the Old and New Testament, and he thought about this. What, is this. what is this fear? So there's one type of fear. It's called servile fear. S-E-R-V-I-L-E, if you're writing things down. This type of fear is when you fear the executioner. You know that you're going to die. You know that the wrath is about to come on you. Or... You have a mother or father who is overbearing and is, is, you know once you cross the line that you get hit or punched. And that's not right. That's awful. And that's a fear that we, that we would naturally have. It's fearing a slave master. It's this type of fear that you know, I'm in a prison. I'm in a prison. And the one that has me in a prison is constantly on me, constantly beating me down. That is a type of fear. Now, outside of the gospel, there is a fear that makes sense for this. Without Christ, we should fear the wrath of God. We should fear his wrath. We should fear the punishment that we deserve. But it would not be from an unloving God. It would be from a holy and righteous God pouring his wrath out on us. But this second kind of fear, it's a filial fear. F-I-L-I-A-L. This type of fear, it's more rooted in your basic loving family. It's a high respect the child has for his dad. It's a high respect and love that this child has for his mom, for his big brother, for his sister. It's this understanding that these older people in my life, my mom, my dad, my big brothers and big sister, but mainly my mom and dad, they really do care about me. They really do want me to eat. <laughs> they want me to have a good life. There's this type of fear that's saying, I don't want to act against that. It's not just this, I want to be good because I'm a Lewis. 
I want to represent the Lewis family. But it's, you know what? I love my mom. I love my dad. My dad said, you know what, son? It's going to be tough. You're going into high school. It's going to be tough. But I want you to remember the things that I taught you. There's a, there's a good kind of, I respect my dad. I love my dad. I want to honor my dad. I'm not going to do those things because I want, I want people to know that there's a right way. There's a way to live. And God wants us to show the world a way to live. The danger in this type of fear is the thought that, okay, well, if I live in a certain way, then that's basically saying, I'll just show the world how to live and how to act. I'll show them how to be good. That's not the point. This type of, this type of fear is saying, God, you are holy. You are good. You are awesome. I want, I want to have a high respect from you. I actually fear the thought of sinning against you, not because the punishment you pour out, because Jesus has received that, but because the light that's not going to shine out of my life, because of the joy that I'm not going to receive, because of the praise that you're not going to receive. I fear that. I don't want my life to, to be all about that. So this is not a fear about earning. It's actually a fear about yearning. I yearn that God's glory would be made known. I fear the kind of life that just it says, I want me to be known. Because, because that life destroys me. Sinclair Ferguson says this. The fear of the Lord tends to take away all other fears. This is the secret of Christian courage and boldness. So when I fear the Lord, it takes away all those other fears. Because I can land my hope and my security in the goodness of God and who he is. Living night and day in the fear of man is one of the worst judgments. But living all day long in the fear of God is one of the sweetest mercies. The fear of man shortens our days, but the fear of God prolongs them. The fear of man is a fountain of mischief and misery. But the fear of God is a fountain of life. The fear of man causes people to run to evil. But the fear of God causes them to depart from evil. That's from a man named John Flavel. There's something about the fear of God that we need to look more into. I'd encourage you to look into that. But at the end of this amazing song about God's grace, about his mercy, about the nation singing, we end with let all the ends of the earth Fear you, God. May they know you. May they desire to sing about who you are with all of their heart and soul. This kind of gladness, this kind of song that we sing to the Lord is an eternal gladness. This is the song that we're going to sing for eternity. Not so much let the nations know you, but we're going to sing a song for eternity for eternity that is, Lord, thank you that you allowed the nations to know you. We're going to look around and we're going to hear from every tongue, from every tribe, and from every nation. We're going to see people praising God. And that is going to be something that we're going to love to sing because we're a part of that. We're a part of that. So moving forward, what's our task at hand? What's some application for us? 
Here's some steps for us. Number one, that we would have an upward gaze to the face of Christ shining upon us. Just simply that. That each day we would say, God, I want to know your grace. I want to see your blessings. I want the nations to sing about you. But I need to know you. I want to know you. So it's going to take an upward gaze. And how does that happen? How do we have a continued posture of looking up to God so that we could see him on display? It's through his word, ultimately. So may we be a people who are in the word of God, studying his word, reading his word, singing his word. May we be people that pray for the Spirit's continued illumination. And that, that's the face of Christ through the Holy Spirit, through his word shining in our hearts. It's not just a flashlight shining on our, on our face. It is an illumination that is lighting us up on the inside through his truth, wakening us to the glories of God. And we need the Spirit to do that. So may we have an upward gaze to the face of Christ shining upon us. May you be comfortable with that fact that even in the depth of your sin, as a non-believer, you would say, Lord, show me why that is a good thing for you to see me. Those of us that are believers, that we would say, Lord, I know you see me. And Lord, would you shine even brighter? Step two for us would be to have a bowing posture. It's very similar to point number one. But as we look to the face of Christ, as we look to God's glory, that we would actually bow before him, acknowledging his ways. That we would acknowledge the ways. Even when you think of the Old Testament. Often we look to the Old Testament and the laws that are there. We get confused because the Psalms keep talking about how beautiful the law of God is. And, we're, and then you hear us say things like, we don't look to the law, we look to grace. But what grace does, it exposes the law and how we break it, but it shows us the character of God. The law shows us who God is. So if you would, I've, I've heard it said that when we look to the Old Testament, it's like a candle of the gospel flickering. That light is good. It's pointing toward the future, the future Messiah. The Old Testament is just packed with promises of God, of Christ, the Messiah that's coming. But it's a flickering, it's a mystery, it's a light. We get to the New Testament. The gospel of Jesus, the face of Christ, it's like a supernova. It's like a sunshine of the gospel. And it's amazing. And so what we tend to do is we look back to the candle and we say, you're not so good because you're so small. No. That candle that was flickering is light. That candle of the, the, the promises of the Old Testament to a coming Messiah are good. And what we really need to do is to think of it this way. That Old Testament flicker of God's ways and who He is in His glory is not just a little flickering candle. It is actually the supernova that is shining. We don't understand it. We can't get it. Moses, he couldn't get it. And then we move to the New Testament in Jesus it's the universe of supernovas upon supernovas. God shines his light. He shines his face upon us. We should have a posture of bowing. That he would even do that. That he would show us his glory and his goodness. But this passage, 67, Psalm 67, point three, 
is that we need to have a vision for the world. We need to have a vision for the world. We're going to cover this later in the fall and even within our comm groups. We're going to get more specific. What are the gospel needs for the, for the world? What is the 1040 window? Are there really people in the world that have never heard the gospel? And we're going to think about that. We're going to talk about that. We're going to, we desire as a church to build a vision for the lost world. So we need to have a vision for the lost world. So we need to understand and be educated on all the people groups of the world. But point number four is that we need to have a heart for the world. We need to have a heart for the world. Not that we just have a knowledge of the lost world, but we need to pray, God, would you help us to actually sing for the nations? Because that's what this psalm is about. God, be gracious to us that they may know, that they may sing. Show your mercy to us that they may know and they may sing and the rest of the world may know you. That's what this is. God bless us so that we can be a blessing to the nations. That's going to require not just an educated mind about the lost world, but it's going to require a song. It's going to have to require a change of the heart and a desire for the nations to know. It's for us to get on the same page of God that he desires for his glory to cover the world, and it will. As the waters cover the sea, his glory is going to cover the earth. But are we going to be a church that gets to be a part of that? My prayer is that, yes, we will. Five, as a church, we need to plan for the world. How are we going to unite with churches? How are we going to dream big, big dreams? How are we going to stop, for some of us, how are we going to stop praying for peanuts and pray for continents? How are we going to say, God, would you help us to reach our neighborhoods, our city, Knoxville, but but help us to reach the world. But God, we only feel like we have a pocket of, of, of just a few pieces of bubble gum. And we're just learning to chew this. We're just learning the intricacies of the gospel. It's a, it's a right now, it's a right now time. Let's chew and let's go. Let's drink deeply of God and let's go into the nations and let's trust him for the resources to do that. We must be a people in a gathered church that sings the song of the nations. This is one of the songs that was on Jesus' tongue. He sang this song. May the nations know you, God. May this be a song that we sing. For those of you that don't know Christ, I pray that you would see Jesus. I pray that you would see him high and lifted up. If you have more questions about the gospel, which I think you would, I pray that you would, you would talk to somebody that brought you today. If you're here on your own, come and talk to me. I'd love to share with you more about this song that Jesus sang. And here's the thing about this song. As Jesus sang this song, he knew he was the answer to the song he was singing. He knew that he would be the one to set his face towards Jerusalem. He knew that he would be the one to sacrifice his life and die so that we could have a song in our mouths. He was punched in the mouth so that we could sing. He was crucified on the cross so that we could sing. Let me pray for us and then we're going to worship. Father, I thank you so much for this psalm, God. God, I thank you for who you are for your glory. I thank you for the fact that you call 
us to pause. You call us to think about your glory and your goodness. Father, may the nations know you. May the nations rejoice. May they taste and see that you are good. But Father, as we as your people go to your word day in and day out, may we go to our families. May we share the story. So Father, may this story touch our hearts like like the story of this crazy bird touched my son's life, sparked his imagination, amazed him that he wanted to go share with his mom. Jesus, would your good news touch us, Father. Touch us in our depths of sadness, Father, because I believe that most of these songs are going to be heard not through us being in the, the height of heights and things are so amazing. I believe this song gets sung best through our suffering. When we sing of your praise, when we are down, when we are hurting, and we're reminded of your goodness, when we are seeing that, God, be gracious to us. We need you. We need you, and the nations need you. Father, I pray that today would be a day that we could look back on and be reminded of a heart and a mind and a love for the nations from your word, from your song. May we sing, may we take communion being reminded that your body was broken for us, that your blood was poured out for us, but not just for us, but for the nations. Jesus, you say that there are other sheep of your fold, and you say you will go bring them in. You're going to do it, Lord. May we be a part of that. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.